0: There's two types of people. There's person A, Andrew, I can't afford more than $3,500 a month or me and my you know fiance can't go on date night. So we have to find a house that's $3,500 a month or less. So I've always geared it towards, that's person A. It's the same pitch with every single client. Or person B, Andrew, I want the exact dollar that we qualify for. And if my husband has to work five jobs, by God, he will. So I've always
1: basic- Don't talk to my wife. Exactly. <laughs> She'd be like, take out B, he's B. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Andrew Russell. He's a mortgage originator based out of Long Island, New York. He is a number one broker company in Long Island, the number two company in New York, and rated number 36 in the country. He's got a master's degree in psychology and applies that to building a successful mortgage business. One of the things that is cool about Andrew is his business is 85% purchase and 14% refi. In the current market, that's pretty compelling considering a refi business has definitely dried up and he continues to expand his purchase business working with real estate agents. A couple of great things from this conversation with Andrew. First, he talks about one of the strategies he uses to build great realtor partnerships is he's got an in-house digital marketing company that supports them as well as a university basically training to help real estate agents be successful. We dive into that. He talks about how in his initial consultation with a borrower, I call it a discovery call. He has a couple of key questions that he asks at the beginning that helps him determine if their priority is the monthly payment or if it's property. And it's pretty clever use of language. And I think it's a good script that you guys will find useful. And we also talk about how email is dead and how he's using SMS significantly more in terms of engaging with his clients and referral partners. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation and also, last year he's a part of the Scotsman's guide. He did 133 million, 295 loans, and as I said, 85% purchase business. In today's Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about best practices for email templates. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to my title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform that is incredibly easy to use, easy for borrowers and also easy for brokers. It's got some cool features like Smart Docs. as the client's filling out the application it's already figuring out exactly what documents that you need it's got smart submission notes so when you get ready to submit that to a lender it's actually pulling key data from the application and putting in the notes and you may think scott why do you need that it's because every lender's underwriting platform is different finding the information in the application is always like all over the place and so this way you have one place for your notes which is awesome it's connected to lender spotlight which means you can search rates and guidelines and it's just incredibly easy our brokers absolutely love it and the best part is there's no subscription fee best next step would be to go to lendesk.com slash finmo and book a free strategy session and they'll show you how this can help you save tons of time check it out hey andrew welcome to the show how are you thanks for having me hey man so uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and your business so I'm Andrew Russell, owner and founder of RCG Mortgage. We're a mortgage broker company
0: located on Long Island, specializing in downstate New York. You know, we're licensed in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Florida, Colorado. We do residential mortgage and we are definitely insulated for this environment. We have always been since day one, our mission statement has always been like a realtor focused. So, you know, we've built a business model and a company contingent on you know, realtors and clients alike offering five-star service, you know, raving fans, all that good stuff. But we are like prepared for where the market is today
1: moving forward. Right. Yeah. I see that your guys' stats. We'll talk about that in a bit. So how did you get into the mortgage business? Like most people in their kindergarten don't say, I'm going to be a mortgage broker when I grew up. So how did you get here?
0: It's a great question. So in high school for a hot minute between sports, I did telemarketing for a broker company and I just love sales. Stopped, ended up downstream getting a master's in psychology to be a guidance counselor. I was a guidance counselor for a hot minute. And then, you know, I wasn't necessarily told you make a great income as a guidance counselor, but all the student loans that you took out to get there were quite expensive. Um, So I did a quick pivot and an old buddy of mine was in the mortgage business. So I actually was at an FDIC, starting the National Bank. I started there right at the crash. Regardless, you know, I was the guy that got really nothing given to him and turned, you know, the crappy lead into dollars type thing, you know, a stack of leads and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. That was definitely my story. But I love the mortgage business. I love the psychology of the mortgage business first, the business of the business, you know, walking a purchase client from you know, anxiety and trepidation and a huge investment and just all that fear, you know, holding their hand and being their consultant, and walking them through the process. To me, that feels very, you know, psychology based, which I love. So that's why I've always loved the mortgage business, always loved purchase clients.
1: Well, and if you wanted to be a guidance counselor, in a way, you get to do that as a mortgage broker, right? But you're guiding them on the purchase. You
0: have a pipeline for argument's sake of 20 people. You have 20, you know,
1: clients that are taking your therapy in theory. Correct. Therapy. Okay, so what's something, because one of my kids actually might get their master's in psychology, my oldest. And so what is something that from that that's overlapped really well in your mortgage career? It's just the human nature
0: piece of psychology. So like mortgage guys, right? Some of the local competitors, When they speak to a client, they have a high-level consultation. It's not a high-level consultation. Like, how do you define a high-level purchase consultation? It's, hey, so what are you interested in? You know, how much can you put down? What do you do for a living? Cool. I'm going to send you something. The email, secure pre-approval link, do it. And then we'll circle back and we'll talk. Then they do that. So there's really no conversation. So it's like no setup. And then from there, it's like, all right, they're talking DTI, LTV. They call people to file, right, Scott? Like, you're a file. So what I've brought yeah. to my team is like, talk to people like they're humans, which they are, right? They're nervous, they're anxious, right? So we have 30, 45 minute, hour long consultations with screen share where our competitors are kind of like a quick once over and they kind of leave it at that. So I brought like the psychology and the human element to mortgage, which makes people feel, you know, not necessarily guarded, brings our walls down. And like you're on even playing field from a, uh, like an empathy perspective.
1: And that really has helped right and that goes back to the consulting piece or the guidance counselor thing so let me ask you this i find that sometimes that part of being good at that is asking good questions right out to the client not just hey what's your job what's your so what's a question that you ask that you coach your people to ask that most people would not think to ask them sure
0: you're stealing my secret sauce right so I've i just want
1: thing. one i don't need them all because i know there's more to uh, this but I, you gone. see i can yeah, I you always a give here. Me a
0: shout out on social whatever when you're a billionaire yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> um, i will if it's,
0: if it's that easy yeah i've always had the same pitch have you found something you're interested in you're just trying to get pre-approved and then from there forward i'm like look there's two types of people there's person a Andrew, I can't afford more than $3,500 a month or me and my you know, fiance can't go on date night. So we have to find a house that's $3,500 a month or less. So I've always geared it towards that's person A. It's the same pitch with every single client. i person B, Andrew, I want the exact dollar that we qualify for. And if my husband has to work five jobs, by God, he
1: will. So I've always basic... Don't talk to my wife exactly. She'd be like Take out B He's b. i
0: I've always basic B'd it right? I don't want to say the word But basic b the conversation Cool Are you payment driven And you know I always use Like an analogy To make people laugh Right like in other words You can't go On date night Or you're going to have to eat Ramen noodles In a gorgeous house Or Is it literally And there are some people Like that It's not often in this market Especially with higher down payments And better credit grade But like If I qualify for 750 By God Send that pre-approval Because my husband He'll work four or five jobs. And that's how I always gear my
1: pre-approval consult. Right, right. Okay. So there you go. This is why I knew that when you said most people, they're just asking the standard questions. And I, I suspect there's a whole bunch of layers to this, but that's very helpful. Thank you for that. Before we dive into your story, I'd love to ask about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. Cause I love quotes are portable. They're kind of memorable. They're like swing thoughts that keep me on track. So what's something that's really impacted you?
0: So my mom was early on a swimmer. You know, I think she was part of the Olympics or tried to be in the Olympics. And swimming is actually, it sounds cool, right? But it's actually when you're you're training for it, it's very difficult, very harsh. You know, like to train for like a swimming event is actually probably more than like me playing college football, you know, which I did. So her father, he always told me growing up, Papa Pete, second place is first loser.
1: It's a uh, quote from Navy SEALs as well. I watched a documentary on them. I'm not trying to tell you psychologically
0: how healthy that is, but from birth, you know, I'm very competitive. I played sports, football, baseball, you know, tennis, et cetera, believe it or not. Like, it's just always been in my head. I'm very, like, win first place oriented, no matter what comes in the way. I will always find a way around it, especially with the mortgage business, right? But that's something, like, literally to me, it's the truth, right? Second place is first loser. That's been in my head since pretty much birth.
1: So when you hire staff, how do you get them to pick up on that as well? I love that concept, but then how do you, you know. Yeah, it's a great question. So,
0: you know, you have to put checklists and toll bars or, you know, all those things. And so like in New York, things move a little bit slower than outside of the area. But at this point, this is our standard of excellence. So it's like when you hire staff, you're like, so this is our standard of excellence. This works for you, right? Like if you have to stay after five o'clock because the closing is happening and the people have to go to the bank and then there's moving trucks and, you know, sellers and, you know, like you're bought into, like, we have to get this done, right? Like you can get a feel for people in interviews that they're willing to go the extra mile. But of course, like we have to lead them. So I'm the type of person, I'm a leader. You know, unfortunately i realized I just turned 40. So I had like an awakening that like, there's two types of people, there's leaders and managers. I am not the best manager right? Like I'm the type of person, like I will lead by example. I'll be the first one in still as the owner, last one out, always available, always texting. There's no mortgage scenario that I don't know. I'll go work around, you know, I definitely have that keen ability, but like managing, slowing down, training people. I'm smart enough now to know I have to hire those people to be those trainers, right? But that's what we do. We lead by example here and we clearly delineate like the five-star, the raving fan experience, what that looks like. And we managed to do that. Like, that is what we must hit because, you know, you're only as good as your last transaction. So we don't have any room for error here. Right. Right.
1: So, you know, as an entrepreneur, business owner, there's always failure that happens, but I always find there's lessons in it. So can you share something that you failed at, but now looking back, there's a lesson in it?
0: Failure. It's like, it's a difficult thing to say. Like what do you define as failure versus me? So
1: I always love when I ask highly competitive people because there's some people that don't even, they don't even understand the question.
0: Failure to me is like, I understand you have to fail forward, right? That's like that whole concept fail forward. So I wouldn't necessarily, like, I know as I do things that there's going to be things that happen that yield the result that isn't what I want. So like, you know, the whole thing, like I'm big into Goggins. I'm big into Rogan. I'm big into those people. I'm not like big into like necessarily the Tony Robbins stuff. I'm more like the, Failure is not an option. You're still alive. Like, go get it. You know, the Jocko video that's so popular. I love that yeah. video. I show that to new recruits all the time. But that's how like failure to me is, it's assumed you're going to fail. So the true failure to me is literally if you're on the ground, then you just give up. So like, in other words, it's a hard market, right? Maybe a couple months, I won't make all that much money, if at all, from a company profitability perspective. I don't just close shop. Like that to me is failure. Right. Failure is not necessarily giving bad. up. Correct. Not something going wrong. And then I find a workaround. Like as an example, you know, in the mortgage space, and you could probably corroborate, there's a youth infusion movement that's like called for, like we need to get the youth into the mortgage space. So how do you do that? You hire the youth. They're green. And I found one out of two of them absolutely stink. They're entitled. They live at home. They don't need the job. If they get fired, it's all good because their parents are giving them money. And then the other person's phenomenal and they stick. But like, is that first person, was I a failure? But no, to me trying, it's inevitable. None of us bat a thousand. When you try, things don't go your way. But to me, failure is
1: just game over, which will All never right. happen. I think of like failure in terms of everything's just an experiment. And I have a hypothesis and I think it's going to throw it this way. But if it doesn't, then the experiment didn't run the way I expected. What do I learn next? So if when you think of it in that terms, in terms of experimentation, failure is just feedback to me. And so can you think of an experiment that you ran though, that you were like, Hey, I had an hypothesis. We tried this experiment didn't work, but I've learned from that experiment.
0: Sure. I mean, some people, maybe myself included have keen sales ability. So if they get a mortgage license and you have a couple conversations, you would think that, Oh, you should be able to communicate that to a client. You know, my family has, I think the background from my grandfather the schmooze, right? Not everybody has the schmooze. So we have taken licensed people and put them into the war and realized they need sales training, which is completely different than mortgage technician training. Actually how to like sell a client, bring them on a journey, all that stuff. Because we've heard some brutal conversations. So I say something, you know, that I could have potentially tweaked is slowed down and really been like, hey, do you know what sales is? You know, like that customer service. Because some of them, it's one thing to be licensed. Another thing, what you say Sometimes it's not the
1: best. Those conversations. And back to when we were talking a few minutes ago, about, are you person A, person B? Some of that is just getting, that's sales. You're guiding them, but it's a guided conversation, right? You're not just, exactly. okay, that's really good. So can you share something? What's the best change you made to your mortgage business in the last year? Like what's the best improvement, either process or something Yeah, so, the best
0: thing is, you know, we've rolled out some heavy CRM use lately, really track everything, you know, who's giving us what, you know, how successful they are. You know, we've realized from a referral partner perspective, we're talking, you know, that end of the business that some people refer us a lot of clients, but they don't really amount to much. Some people refer not that much, but they're always solid clients. So like, we're really tracking everything we do. And then from tracking, you can reverse engineer. So if we have a certain metrics of like lead to close... If a loan officer, if you're building a team for them, or if they have certain goals for their family, hey, I want to make $250,000, guess what? You need a certain amount of leads. Then we reverse engineer, how many realtors do they need? Because we classify these realtors in a bunch of investigation accounts. A channel account, an A, a B, or a C. A channel account is 10 funded deals a year. An A is one a quarter, or four a year, a B is two a year. A C is you know not that much. So the point is, if they have a bunch of Cs, They're not going to close five, six, seven deals a month to get to that level. So really tracking granularly all our data, just rolling that out now from a timing perspective was a godsend. That's a big change that I'm excited about.
1: Right. And so what technology did you end up, because I mean, there's tons of them out there. This is not prescriptive, but it's more for an insight purposes. But what technology did you decide to use for tracking CRM and stuff?
0: Yeah. So we found that Salesforce, is a beast that's probably the best i would imagine but takes 8 10, 12 years and a six figure a year consultant to roll out and we've you know checked all the other ones we use encompass banker that's our loan origination software and we're rolling with one called shape so shout out to shape
1: shape okay cool shape,
0: uh, is, shape is a mix of the point of sale you know which goes into encompass which then ends in shape right so everything goes through the crm that's the hub from you know the beginning automation to the post close drips, right? So it's one. We found that like sometimes you have to have multiple systems. They
1: actually have everything in one. Right. Okay. So I want to ask about sort of how your business is a bit unique in that referral based business and like eighty five percent purchase. Which given the current market change, you guys are well positioned for that. And real estate agent in particular, I think there's many things you do that makes you guys successful realtors. But you have this in house digital marketing. So touch on that. So like, what is it that you guys are doing that your realtors have been raving about, and that's been helpful for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, what's been helpful for RCG? When I first opened the company, I mean, you remember my favorite quote. What was my favorite quote?
1: Second place is first loser.
0: Exactly. So if I'm opening up a mortgage broker company, I want to dominate the purchase market. How do I do that? So I'm the first place. True story. I spoke with some old people I had done business with. I'm like, hey, it's me. It's Andrew. I'm the best. I'm the fastest. I have someone that speaks Spanish on my team. I have the best raps. Like, what's up? Yeah. And they weren't really responsive to me, you know, after I took a few year hiatus from originating B2C and rolling out a wholesale division at a local bank, you know, which is B2B. And um, when I got back into the B2C space, you know, that conversation, I was getting very frustrated. So I joined a couple of high-level coaching groups, and somebody once told me, Andrew, for a real smart guy, you're so effing stupid. And I was like, I don't understand. What do you mean? That's kind of insulting. And they're like, bro. Everybody says that. Everyone says they're the best, they're the fastest, the best rate. Whoa, well, whoa, well, you know, I'll do co-marketing on Zillow, whatever. They're like, you have to have true value. And that's when I realized in a birth, like, this is a digital market. Everybody's on their phones. This is where everybody lives all day, yeah. every day. So, you know, no one right now is on the phone. No one's really emailing. That's kind of dead. It's more texting technology. So I realized that we, from a value proposition perspective, have to have an offering where we will help realtors grow and scale their business on social and digital, which is where I was deep into that at that point as well, because we found realtors know they have to be more omnipresent on social and digital. They either don't have the money to do it for themselves to pay a consultant, or they don't have the guidance. You know, sometimes they get guidance within the company from someone who doesn't know what they're doing, just has organically a bunch of followers. Mm -hmm. So we kind of built our own in-house agency that we do high level consultations with the realtors, we look at all their socials, we either help them, you know, the the infancy stage realtor from scratch with all the socials, or whatever they're doing now, we kind of put gas onto the fire to help them grow it. And it's successful. Because if you talk to a realtor, and you say, Hey, I'm gonna help you grow and scale your business on social media, what's the catch? Nothing. There is no catch. It's just, I would love to be a partner, we can talk about future business. There's nobody that's necessarily going to say no to that.
1: So it's an easy yes. So then in this in-house digital marketing division, you have how many realtors do you currently manage or assist with that department? A lot. Like what's a lot? Like 150? Just or yeah, probably
0: I would say it's into the hundreds.
1: And then like if you look at your like last year you did 130 some million, what percentage of those loans would come from people that are using that?
0: Yeah, I would say, I mean, some people in there don't give us business, you know, some people do. You know, but I would say on average, like we call it RCG University. They're giving us referral opportunities because, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? So we could have the trifecta here where we're like, all right, we have the in-house digital marketing agency. We have videography opportunity. But like if we're not the best on mortgage, the whole thing's for nothing. The whole Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's how you get paid. Yeah. So, yeah. So we have, you know, realtor opportunities. We call it the university. If you're not giving us business, you don't get kicked out right? Especially that's a RESPA violation. But regardless, you know, typically people, they're using us, we introduce them to the university, and it kind of makes us even more sticky, like with no catch. They're already referring us, we're already, you know, building our book
1: organically. And then from there, we're like, cool, we also have this other cool stuff. Right, okay. And so this RCG University, so is it like training that you provide? Or is it actual done-for-you services? So or So it it's both? a mixture of both. okay. And if it's done for you services, do they have to be, you know, doing a certain amount of stuff with you or is it just like based on availability? How does that work? It's just whatever it is, it is whatever they need.
0: Like, if they need help, we're willing to do it. Cause just understand we can do a done for you service where we're like, we're going to post, we're going to do all this stuff for people. And there's no catch. It's just, it requires work. You know, they're going to have to go out. They're going to have to spend time and do the videos. They're going to have to think of content, pick a farm area, you know? And as much as, you know, you're talking to a high-level, you know, high D personality, a personality, you know, guy, not every realtor is similar. So, you know, you could do anything for anybody, it's just they have to put in the work. So we have to make sure it's a good mix of like we're gonna help you, but also they're gonna do what's necessary. Because we do have still somewhat limited reasons. You can't
1: yeah, and exactly you can't do it everything for them. They still gotta put I can't go in. out to Main
0: Street in Smithtown and take a video for John Smith realtor, Keller Williams. He has to do it, and as much as it sounds good everyone's willing to put in the sweat equity to do it. So it's really, right. more, we'll do more for people that engage in more. There's really, it's carte blanche,
1: but you know, the truth is not everyone will put in that hundred percent of work. Right. Okay. That's cool. And then, so when you're looking ahead right now, given the current market, what's something that you're excited about or you feel as an opportunity in the next sort of 90 days? Yeah.
0: I mean, the truth is what we're hearing in all of our high level coaching groups that most of us belong to, So by the end of the year, 38% of loan officers are anticipated to not renew their license. So what does that mean? Right now, if you go to a networking event and have a burger at a barbecue, out of every three LOs, potentially one won't be there in a year from now. So it's opportunity. I mean, our company, as well as we're doing, you know, and some of our stats are pretty phenomenal. We're still very small. We're still a blip on the radar So there's still massive opportunity to take huge market share for a smaller pie, because for us, it's still way more than we could ever chew, you know, so that's exciting to me. When I hear the business is getting harder and constricting, I get excited because I know that we're going to rise to the top and there's more opportunity for
1: us. Right. Okay. That's interesting. And so in terms of rates, what's your sort of sense with rates, do you think? You know, nobody has a
0: question. I mean, don't worry, I won't days. call you
1: in a year and say, hey, Andrew, you know, this is what you said. So what just out of what's your sort of sense right now?
0: Every time there's been doom and gloom, there's something that always happened. Inevitably to either push the rates back down or keep them low. So what are the rates right now? Potentially low fives. I don't believe in a year or so they'll be in the sixes. I think even in the fives, it's already been this insane correction that at any moment, the government could say one or two things and it gets slightly corrected. So I don't think they're going to get all that much better. Is there a chance they go into the four? Sure. I don't think they'll be in the sixes, but I think a four to five number is going to be our sweet spot for a while.
1: Right. Okay. So I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. You can answer these shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google?
0: I speak French. Oh, that's a, do you use it a lot in New York? I used it four times in my life. If I was smart, I would have taken Spanish.
1: Right. Did you take French in school? Is that how you learned it?
0: I learned yeah ever since sixth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, and I took it
1: two of the four years in college. Right. So in Canada, that's our you know one of our national languages. So you could come here and dominate. You'd be like, hey, let's I switch between English and but Spanish is. When I met my yeah. wife, I
0: said, "Calling the je tombe toi," which means, First time I saw you, I fell in love." Oh, that's six tickets, <laughs> <it, Scott. laughs>
1: I got to write that down and say it to my wife. Okay, so what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Saving Private Ryan. Oh, great movie. And uh, what's one software program or digital tool? Oh, you said shape, but what's another one that you can't run your business without? WhatsApp. And so how do you use WhatsApp? Uh, just for team chat, just for organization, groups, sharing. You know,
0: that or Microsoft Teams. You know, yeah. we migrated to Microsoft Teams. That's like all the rage right now. I love Microsoft Teams or WhatsApp. Right. Okay. Texting with groups is out through like the actual phone. I don't know why it's problematic and pictures and So we found either Teams or WhatsApp
1: for our actual company has been great. You said something about emails, dead. How do you guys use text in your interactions with realtors and borrowers, or do you? We
0: try to do a lot of automation. So there's certain trigger points where clients and referral partners alike, if the client gives authorization, should be alerted, you know, needs to send for pre-approval, the client's pre-approved, then from there, you know, contracts in, we do uh, initial application
1: send submitted to the lender, appraisal order, appraisal receive. And these approved. are all text notifications? Correct. And so how do you manage that with, you know, multiple, it's not obviously coming from your cell phone because that would be- It comes from the
0: CRM, it's automation. So okay. organically through build out, As a loan moves through the process, depending on milestones or fields in the CRM, the automation
1: fires out. And then if the reply to the text, it just goes into the CRM and you can go back and forth like you would if you're on a phone. Remember
0: back in the day you were in college on your computer creeping out on AIM? Yeah. You know, and you were hitting people up with, you know, it's like messaging through computer. You know, it's the same thing.
1: Okay. Like our, our, our
0: processors and even LOs, LOAs, they work through the CRM.
1: And do you find that the response with text is better or what's been your sort of experience? It's night
0: and day. Emails get lost. Now spam, right? (laughs) With all the crazy spam, everything goes into spam boxes. You know, so we call out for loans that are approved. Like we call out like, hey, Scott, great news. Your loan has been initially reviewed. I'm going to send you a needs list for what we need for the clear to close slash commitment, right? But we're also texting. And then what I deployed is in like a top of mind strategy. So like, Scott, if you do mortgages, and you're the best but that client has only used you they don't know you're the best they don't know what's the norm they don't know if they went down right. the street to a big bank that you're great and they stink communicatively speaking so you know what i've realized is like sometimes work so good but there are periods of silence and what is silence deafening right it brings anxiety so i make sure that two to three times a week through the crm through texting our processing team is reaching out to the client like. Hey, Scott, happy Wednesday. No news is good news. Again, just wanted to see how you're doing. Anything I can help with. But again, just to reiterate, we're waiting on the appraisal shit. but like those touch points, I feel like through the process have really helped versus like the long deafening silence.
1: Right. And then what about post-close? Do you use text or SMS
0: for any communications yeah, I mean, post-close? Post-close we have some automation. You know, we send the birthday cards in the mail. We do the six and 12 month anniversary of the loan. You know, so we stay in front of them at the right
1: times. And are you using any text for any of that stuff? Or is it just... Uh, yeah, we use text.
0: Then I think you go a little bit more downshift to
1: email. Right. Okay, last question on text, because you brought it up. So you got my brain spiring here. But how about with your realtor partners? How are you guys using text to engage with them? Real
0: estate partners is a lot, right? Because so we use automation where with text, email, voicemail. So we have, you know, that's one where we contact realtors, just give them updates, just stay in front of them you know, how's your weekend? We have some of that stuff with texting, the loans in process. We have the automation with the texting features. If we do a video, you know, say we use Dub or CoVideo or BombBomb, we text it to the realtor, like, hey, what's up? Happy Monday. You know, check out my video update, you know, so we use it for that type of
1: stuff. You're basically moving what used to be primarily an email communication into a text based one, which I think is pretty clever. Okay. So back to the rapid fire questions. Remember the movie, Back to the Future, the DeLorean, if I could put you in that and send you back to when you started this company, and I won't send you back to like day one, but when you started this mortgage company, what would be advice you'd give yourself?
0: You got this, bro. What I would do is I would have rolled out the CRM right away. You know, like we got very big, very quick. So some of the foundational tools were in here, technology-wise, you know, the tracking and the various things. I don't know. I wouldn't have changed much because I make myself crazy you know, to be first place. So maybe if I would have told myself, you're going to get it, bro, relax. You're going to get it. Maybe I would have stepped off the gas and that would have changed my trajectory. I would have rolled out the shape as a software. So I've been through a
1: lot of them, a lot
0: of them. You know, like if you don't go to the gym and you pay the gym, it's called a fat tax, right? So like I paid the fat tax on these CRMs, many of them, five, $10,000 build outs, integrating with Encompass, and they turned into crap. So I would have said, bro, roll with shape, man. And I would have had like the automation I have of processing instead of being manual and email, I would have moved to the automation and texting
1: on day one. Right. Yeah, that's good advice. All right, man. And so if somebody's listening to this, and you know, there's a lot of those out there that had primarily a refinance business and their originator, mm-hmm. are you looking to hire? Can they reach out to you, or what are you kind of looking for? Would be your ideal? Yeah, person? of course. I mean, if they're in New, New York. York and, yeah.
0: In yeah, New York. It's you know, licensing is all the rage. So licensed loan originators are always treated like gold. But we've seen, like, same thing with me. I got lucky. The truth is, in 2008, I was at Sterling National Bank, and my managers pivoted from refi to purchase leads, right? We went on lending tree and we bought purchase leads. Who the heck would buy a purchase lead? So I pivoted in 08 and saw this as a great business model. But, like, say they didn't do that, maybe I'm a victim of, you know, the refi, you know, quasi-crash right now. So You know, I think we do a great job here coaching and mentoring to show a great originator, a mortgage technician who knows how to structure a mortgage and execute and not make mistakes on pre-approval. We can show you how to build your business through a broker company's product base with our realtor partners. We can help them grow and scale a purchase platform origination business, which is something that's not typically offered, right? Otherwise, you have to go out and buy internet leads and You know, internet leads are very difficult right now just because buyers are, the conversion isn't as high because of the rates and, you know, how hard it is to get an accepted offer. So as long as someone's licensed, you know, coachable is a big thing. We're always open to hiring originators, help them grow purchase business to show them a lead by example. Right, and coachable.
1: Yeah, that's totally true. Otherwise you you can't help them if they're- Not
0: everybody's (laughs) coachable. Not every NFL star is coachable. You know, that's the problem. Tom Brady is coachable. If you look at his- videos of him being coached he has talked to horribly like beaten down basically but he loves it why because he's humble and he realizes he's coachable some people you know on the mortgage side the know-it-alls you know some of them are not coachable but you know unfortunately
1: it's a tough market to not be coachable right that's awesome well hey man andrew great to chat with you and good to get to know you a little bit continue to crush your brother you too scott All right. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation with Andrew. If you're listening to this, you know, I think that one of the key things that Andrew touched on was purchase business being key and real estate partners. You know, we have a Canadian mortgage broker company and we teach our agents how to target real estate agents and get business and they have been growing. Even given the market that we're currently in, we have seen tons of growth and it's because good realtor partners can turn into lots of business for you. So if you're new and you wanna get support in that, go check out rookie to rockstar.ca. I got a webinar we walk you through and show you exactly how we help new agents be successful. In this upcoming segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about best practices for emails. Hey Tom, welcome back to the Experts. Hey Scott, Great to be here. Today we're gonna talk about email template best practices. I know that your brokers that you guys help with your software, Blue Mortgage, they send a tons of emails. And so you know what works and what doesn't and what's effective. So let's jump into it. What sort of things do you see as best practices when it comes to sending out? These are primarily automated emails and what sort of, how to improve your response rate and get people to actually want to pay attention to them.
2: For sure. Yeah. And I would say, you know, automated emails for sure, but even newsletter emails, I think they go into the same category, kind of what we're going to talk about today. And yeah, for sure. I mean, we've spent more than I'd like to admit, you know, amount of time in terms of looking at templates and thinking about them and trying to optimize them and tweak them and that sort of thing. And kind of coming out of that, there's kind of three big things that I always say now that can really kind of take that email game to the next level. And you know, for some people, when I first talk to them about this, they kind of roll their eyes and be like, hey, I do emails all day, every day. Like, what are you going to teach me? But I think it's always worthwhile to have the discussion. And I think there's often things when we talk about it that can really be a big unlock. So to dive right into it, the very first thing I always say, especially in the context of an automated email or a newsletter email or whatever it is, something that you're going to go to many people Still write it as if you just open your Gmail, you just open your Outlook, you know, type something in and send it off. So make it very plain, not a lot of pictures and write as if, you know, you were talking, right? Hey, if you talk like, hey, dude, how's it going? Say, hey, dude, in that email, right? You want it to look because what happens is, first of all, the spam filters, they can usually tell if there's a lot of pictures. It might be a spammy email. And also the humans, right? So you want to get through the spam filters. You want to get through the human. And the best way to do that is to look genuine. And, you know, so if you can do that, then you're really going to see great read rates, great response rates, that sort of thing. So be as authentic as you can when you're thinking through these types of email templates.
1: Yeah, I happen to love email. And I always say write it as if you're writing to one person. Right. And I've done this. When I'll write an email, say, to my newsletter, and usually I use a lot of stories. I find stories like with a hook in a story. But is that I will actually often, I'll think of one person. So it could be like, I'll think of Tom Hall. And I'm like, hey, Tom. (laughs) And I'll actually start it. I'll write my template. Hey, Tom. And then I'll write the whole thing out as if I'm writing to Tom. And it keeps me from switching into talking to a group mode because it'll come up in your language. It'll come up in just the nuance. It'll just seem weird. It'll be like, nobody talks like that. This email (laughs) feels like, and then they ignore it. And so for people to pay attention, it does need to feel as if Tom wrote me that email and personally sent it to me, even if, you know, there's a merge tag and Tom sent that same email to a hundred people, it needs to feel like one-to-one. And so the other point I'll make on this is that it's the same thing as like, If you want people to pay attention, you need to ask one person, not a group. If you ask a group, I say to my kids, can somebody do the dishes? Guess who does that? Nobody will do them. No,
2: you do them. You do them, Scott. (laughs) If I say,
1: hey, Carson, go do the dishes, and it's the same thing. So with communication, one-to-one is much more powerful than one-to-many. So really what you're touching on here I think is critical. And again, the trick is to sit there and imagine you're writing it write down the person's person. name if you have to yeah. and then just write it out and that's probably going to be your authentic voice
2: yeah it probably will right yeah absolutely because yeah. you do like kind of like what i said at the beginning like how many brokers listen to this you know write individual emails all day every day that's a natural mindset that you have so just but take then they, that they take that
1: and throw it away when they write a newsletter exactly. and, go, and then yeah. the newsletter's like yeah. my newsletter sucks it's because you, you completely change <laughs> yeah. the way
2: you talked and yeah, communicated. you don't seem genuine yeah. 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 yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. so okay. that's a good point totally okay, what's so, the second point Yeah, and so, you know, the second point actually kind of relates a little to the first. I think it absolutely relates to the first, but it's one that we're using probably more in the past year than we ever have before, and it's just using video, right? So there's a lot of great tools out there that help make this super easy, like Loom or BombBomb or Vidyard, and I think we've talked about some of these in prior episodes, but just being able to embed a video in an email, it does a lot of things, right? It does point number one, it makes it super personal. If you're there and you're talking and you can make it seem one-on-one, that's a huge thing. But also it's very engaging and it stands out in someone's inbox. I still think we're in kind of this nice era right now where Yes, you know, we're talking about it a lot. And yes, as a, you know, broker CRM, we're seeing it a lot, but there's still a lot of, you know, competitors, you know, and I think again, the competitors being banks, credit unions, that sort of thing, who are going direct to the customers, they're not doing that right now. And so if you're able to use that video, you can be engaging, you can differentiate yourself in someone's inbox. And you can be very personal and make it seem like it's your voice because, well, (laughs) it is your voice if it's a video. So that's definitely kind of number two. And it actually relates quite nicely to number one of being able to be genuine in your communication. Right. Yeah, I
1: totally agree. I think video is like is the way of the future and the quicker you brokers get on board with it, the better. And you can convey emotion much better. Tonality Like the Uh, thing about writing an email is you can come off, you know, rude or impolite without even trying, especially if you're like myself, I tend to be very quick. I'm like, use as few words as possible. It's like, wow, that seems rude, but you can put some tonality in a video that you can't put in an email unless you do some serious thinking. So I like video from a, a speed perspective, as well as a humanizes it a bit.
2: Yeah. So, and I yeah. think, yeah, just, I mean, people obviously crave that human interaction a bit too, right? That, you know, less meeting up with your clients in face-to-face settings. And so the more you can add those types of things. in. even though it feels like we're kind of getting out of COVID, I still feel that there's a lot of that sentiment in clients where it's like, Hey, I still like that face-to-face interaction. I'm still maybe not hundred percent comfortable going to a coffee shop. And the video is a great way to kind of bridge that gap.
1: Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. So what would be the third point that you talk about when it comes to making the best email practices from a company that has people sending tens of thousands of emails a month?
2: Yeah, so the last one is probably my favorite, and it's maybe a newer one that we've been doing. It's just been working. Great, just so, so good. And it's this concept, I just kind of phrase it as when you're writing an email, explain to me like I'm five, right? Like, even though, you know, we're working with, you know, probably a lot of professionals and people who are not five years old, that kind of thinking, that kind of just making it super, super simple, it just goes a huge way. And it goes back to kind of what I was saying about video, where there's people are just getting so many emails every day. And if they get an email with like this big paragraph with lots of explanation and quite complicated and this and that, it's usually getting deprioritized, right? So if you do need to get something complex across, you know, and sometimes you do, maybe you think about point number two, which is using video to do that. But if it's something simple, something that you need a very quick response, make it simple, explain it to them like they're five, and you'll find that you actually get those response rates a lot quicker. Right. You know,
1: I think of this when my kids schools so and teachers will send us an email, you know, it's a bulk email. It's not like, Hey, yeah. Sally was whatever it's. And the email is massive. It's like, I don't even <laughs> want to read it. My wife and I have actually missed parent teacher interviews because it was in the email. And we're like, Oh my gosh, I'm tired of reading this. And then they're like, we missed yeah. your parent teacher interviews. I'm like, Oh, well, you got good grades. Like, so right. maybe yeah. to like bad parents, but like, it's literally buried in like a mountain of text <laughs> yeah. that you're like, just get me to the point.
2: Yeah. What is the yeah. purpose of this email? Right? Like, what do you need me to do? Right. And that should just be like a simple one sentence. This is what you need to know, right? And we were talking about this before. So it was either Mark Twain or Winston Churchill. We were debating it. We don't know. But the concept or the quote of, Hey, if I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. Right. And I think that a lot encapsulates in that because first of all it implies, hey, writing something shorter is actually harder. Right. So some people think, Hey, I write a long thing. School teaches us that, right? Hey, write a thousand word essay and it implies that longer is better but no I think shorter can be better but it's harder but on the point of it being better it can be a lot more concise and it can be a lot better about getting your point across
1: yeah exactly the way I'd heard it said was that today I wrote a long speech because I didn't have time to write a short one yeah and I think whether or not who knows who it was but either (laughs) way simplification is key one of the things I found this is just general email tip is that so when I'm emailing my team my staff or my accountant if you've got three questions number them. Don't yeah, bury yeah. them in a paragraph and make me work to find them. Be like, hey, here's my questions. One, two, three, four. They reply mm-hmm. and go, one, two. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, this is really easy. Like, Now don't, I know don't what I'm it.
2: responding to. Right? And then yeah. number
1: three, hey, I need mean, further clarification. What do you mean by that? Okay, mm-hmm. now I know one and two is done. And I don't have mm-hmm. to think about them. And I didn't miss them. And so, you know, I started doing this when I worked with VAs. And I would yeah. send them stuff. Yeah. And then, and again, you got a slightly language barrier. But then if you don't make it, tell me like I'm five. Use bullet points, use numbers, like let me know exactly what, and this is true in any email you send out, it's just going to land better, people are going to understand it, they're going to get it, and you're not going to miss your kids' (laughs) parent-teacher interviews. (laughs) Parent-teacher interviews. For a a non-specific example. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, why don't you recap this and then we'll wrap up this session.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, just kind of, you know, email templates, something that, yeah, we do all day, every day. We spend so much time looking at it. And the three things that you really want to drive across when you're writing these or you're thinking of these, number one, make it genuine, right? Make it one-to-one. Make it seem like you just opened your Gmail, whatever. Type the email, send it off. That's number one. Number two, if things get complex or if you want that personal touch or you want to differentiate yourself, pardon me, use video. Right. So and there's a lot of great software. Loom is when we talked about Vidyard, BombBomb, all great tools. And then the final one, what we were just talking about, it's actually a subreddit if there's any Redditors out there, but explain it to me like I'm five, keep it super simple, take the extra time, make it maybe a little bit shorter, but get your points across, use those bullet points as you need to, and you'll see kind of that, what you need back from your clients is a lot more effective, right? You're a lot more effective in getting those responses. Right. I
1: love it. Yeah. Keep it simple. Use video. Tell me like I'm five. So if you guys are listening to this, I highly recommend you go check out bluemortgage.ca. There's no E in blue. And Tom's company, you guys help mortgage brokers with their CRMs, email communication is part of it. We recently set up our brokerage with you guys and it's been so much easier than what we were trying to do before in terms of just keeping track of all the files and where they're at and so it's really helped simplify the process for us so I highly recommend you guys go check it out and uh, thanks again Tom for coming to chat yeah thanks Scott Hey, thanks again for listening to my conversation with Andrew and Tom. If you are a mortgage broker and you want to grow your mortgage business, I've got a free tip for you. Go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can set up a free power search account and keyword search all the past episodes to find every reference to first-time buyer, financial planner, realtor, and you can basically do massive research. It's super fast. Check it out and it's totally free. And thanks again for listening to this episode.